If you'll open your Bibles, the pericope of Scripture for this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God before ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God which things also we speak. Not in the wisdom of words, which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, Yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he might instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Let's open our catechisms then to that doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Lord's Day 20, page 12 in the back of your Psalters. And this... Lord's Day and the next Lord's Days as we finish up the Apostles' Creed of God the Holy Ghost. Question 53, what dost thou believe concerning the Holy Spirit? Answer, first, that he is true and co-eternal God with the Father and the Son. Secondly, that he has also given me to make me, by a true faith, partaker of Christ in all of his benefits, that he may comfort me and abide with me forever. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word again to that end that we may be spiritually fed by his word. It is especially verse 12 that I'm looking at and going to be following in this Lord's Day. We have not received the spirit of the world. What is that spirit? What does it mean that we have not received that spirit? Well, the spirit of the world is the devil. The devil, that evil spirit that dwells in the children of disobedience 
and rules over them. It is the spirit of this world that is the spirit of man himself. Man's, in his depravity, living, thinking, having energy, natural power to follow sin. And yes, it is the spirit that teaches worldly things, that finds enjoyment and happiness in the worldly things. Oh, to what heights the spirit of the world can carry man. He can have wonderful inventions. He brings culture to a high degree like the three sons of Lamech. Gives them influence and power. And even developing artificial intelligence, which they think will surpass the intelligence of a human being. But those people do not possess the Holy Spirit, which is of God. They don't have that severe, that sincere love of God. They don't have that true love of their fellow human being. Their souls are spiritually dead. Their conscience is asleep. Fear and childish humility before God is absent. And so no wonder, no matter how powerful or how wonderful and beautiful their deeds appear, weighed in God's balances, they're found wanting. That spirit of the world, O child of God, we read in our text, ye have not received. That term in our text, have not received, is relative, isn't it? It's relative in that we were born with that spirit in the world, the spirit of man. That's the only way that you and I can bring any children into the world, spiritually dead children. But God in his wrath gives the wicked over to that spirit. The the reprobate develops in that spirit and increases in power. And that's why, that's why amongst God's people, you will not find many noble, many mighty, many great. You will not find many inventors or explorers or world-famous things that Hollywood sets forth and touches and says, this poor person, this great person has died. God's people have not received that spirit. God in his wisdom has given that spirit to the children of this world. And so this morning, first of all, consider it a great privilege, a great blessing that God withholds that spirit of the world from us. That spirit of the world that carries the wicked to be atheists or deists or heretics that spirit that leads to destruction and rebellion and home wreckers and abusers. Ye have not received the spirit of the world. No child of God, you and I are not to be pitied because God has withheld that spirit of the world from you. The Lord gave you and me something infinitely better we have received the Spirit which is of God. We have received the Spirit that is of God so that we might know the things that are freely given to those who belong to God are of God. And so as we consider the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, notice what a great gift he is. What an indispensable gift he is. Notice the wonderful purpose for which he is given. A free gift. So that you and I are able to confess every Sunday night in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And then the rest of the Apostles' Creed are the benefits of that Spirit. The gathering of the church. The forgiveness of sins and the hope of everlasting life.
So the Holy Spirit, notice with me, his exalted person. Notice he is our gracious possession. And thirdly, his powerful purpose. We begin with his exalted person. Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, look at the name. He is the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity is called Spirit because he is not more spiritual than the Father and the Son, but because that word Spirit means breathe forth, proceeds from the Father and the Son. Spirit. And he's called holy. Not again because he's holier than the Father and the Son, but rather to distinguish from the evil spirits of the world. He's called especially holy because it is he who makes us holy. That is, he sanctifies us. He works that great work of sanctification in your and my hearts and lives. So the name. Even as the Father is called Creator, even as the Son is called Savior and Redeemer, the third person of the Trinity is called the Holy Spirit. Because he sanctifies. Notice with me, second of all, he is a person. You say, well, what's important about that point? There have been many in the church who saw the Holy Spirit as merely a power or an influence that goes forth from God. That was the Socinians of old. They called the Holy Spirit the power of the highest. That is what Armstrong with his sect, the Worldwide Church of God, taught when he was in California. And that is even the tendency of some Reformed theologians. He's merely the power of God. But he is a person, isn't he? Let's prove that a moment. Boys and girls, you know that story from Acts chapter 5, don't you? The wonderful communion and fellowship that was in the church, but it was wrecked with sin by Ananias and Sapphira. They acted like they had given all their possessions to the church when they personally had held them back and then Peter has to read them the riot act doesn't he Peter said Ananias why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land that proves that he is a person you don't lie to a thought or an influence you lie to a person and it's what kind of a person is he He is divine person. For we read in verse 4, While it remained, that is their gift, was it not thine own? But after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Why hast thou not lied unto men, but unto God? The Holy Spirit is a person he is a divine person the third person of the trinity a person who thinks who wills who works a person who can be grieved can be resisted can be tempted yes he is a person look at his names he is the good spirit He is the spirit of grace and of supplication. He is the spirit of truth. He is the spirit of promise. He is the spirit of adoption. He is the comforter. He is our counselor. Not only does he have those names of a person, but the attributes of God. He is eternal. He is omnipresent. He is omnipotent. He is unchangeable. He is sovereign. The beautiful Athanasian Creed that teaches the three distinct persons of the one triune God. And that spirit is active in all God's work. He was active in the Father's creation, wasn't he? For we read that the spirit brooded over the waters 
giving it life. The Holy Spirit is active in our redemption, not only strengthening Jesus Christ for his work, but also applying all of Christ's benefits to us. And especially, oh, he is so powerful in our sanctification and our preservation, isn't he? He takes you and me who were dead in sin and makes us alive in Christ Jesus. Boys and girls, do you remember that one powerful statement chapter in the book of Ezekiel? The valley of the dry bones. And yes, it is to those dry bones, which are you and me by nature, there is given life. So that those bones take on flesh and parts of a body, the body of Christ Jesus. Oh, that Holy Spirit works conversion, doesn't he? Think of Saul of Tarsus on his way to murder and to put into prison Christians and stopped in his tracks. He hears the voice of Jesus Christ. He has to meditate about that and finally see someone else. And the Holy Spirit gives him new life, doesn't he? He makes him now a missionary of the church. So from a blasphemer to one who praises and preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh yes, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe a holy Catholic church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. And that spirit, he comes, doesn't he, like the silent and the wonderful sweet dew of heaven. He works, that is, without fanfare, silently. And so he's compared to the dew that comes in the morning. You don't really see it. You don't hear it falling without sound. But there is that refreshing dew on the grass that causes it to remain green, doesn't it? That dew never stands out on its own. So the Holy Spirit doesn't step there into the limelight and say, here I am. But rather that Spirit comes and he says, there he is. There's the Christ. That Spirit comes silently in our inner hearts. And together with the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit is the true and co-eternal God. Not just like the Father and the Son, but rather the Holy Spirit together with the Father and the Son is true and eternal God. And there's an implication in that. The divine being is not complete without the Holy Spirit. It is unthinkable and it is damnable to think of God merely as God the Father and God the Son, it is only in the Holy Spirit do they form the divine blessed Trinity. For the Father loves the Son in the, in the Spirit, and the Son loves the Father in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit completes the divine family. That completing work, that finishing, that fulfilling, that beautifying, preparing not only this creation, but also us in the work of recreation. Do you see the Holy Spirit's work of completion in nature? God says, let there be this. God says, let there be that. But it is the Holy Spirit then that breathes, that broods over the waters and that brings forth life. Psalm 104, verse 30, which was part of our call to worship. When the Lord sends his forth his spirit, he renews the face of the earth. When God created mankind out of the dust of the earth, he breathed into him the breath of life. And just as the Holy Spirit brings that life in the creation around us, 
so it is the Holy Spirit that brings that kind of completion in our salvation. Jesus Christ accomplished our redemption. We're going to hear that tonight. But the Holy Spirit applies that redemption. That is, he takes you and I who are dead in sin and he breathes into us the breath of life and so the ugliness of sin is cast out and the luster of grace sparkles. It is the Holy Spirit that cleanses our heart and sanctifies our life so that day by day by day we are renewed in the image of God. We are prepared. We're prepared as a bride for the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. What beautiful work the Spirit does. Not merely working in each individual believer, but working on his church as a whole. Building that church, gathering that church, as Peter points out, building the church as lively stone, not dead stones. We're not a bunch of lumps of stone that can't do anything, but lively stones that are fitted together to make a beautiful edifice wherein God is pleased to dwell. There is, beloved, then, not only completion by the Holy Spirit of God's works, but there is cooperation, there is harmony between those three persons of the divine Godhead. You and I, as human beings, so often we seek our own honor, don't we? But our triune God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, seek each other's glorification. And it is the Holy Spirit who says, don't look at me, but look to Christ Jesus and look to his cross. There is your salvation. What an excellent what an exalted person the Holy Spirit is. But there's one thing more yet. And that is what we read in John chapter 7, verse 39. We read there, But this he spake of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. What does that mean? That means just as the second person of the Trinity became something more in his birth. He became Jesus. Divine nature, divine person, but also human nature. The Holy Spirit also became something that he was not before. The Holy Spirit always existed. The Holy Spirit was always working in the Old Testament saints. But it is only after Jesus Christ came into this world, suffered and died, and went up to heaven and received the Spirit, he became the Spirit of Christ. So that is the Spirit of Christ. He is able to come to the New Testament church. He's able to come to you and me. And he's able to say, look to Christ Jesus. He is the only Savior, the only way to the Father believe in him that is the person of the holy spirit and now in our lord's day we confess that this holy spirit is given to us he is given to us can you say it can you say it this morning? The Holy Spirit was given to me? Who makes that kind of confession? You and I who were created by God to be temples of God. To you and me who willingly broke God's covenant, who insulted God, who destroyed themselves and destroyed that image of God instead of becoming those in whom the devil lived and ruled. That's amazing, isn't it? That he's given to me. Who makes that confession? I believe in the Holy Spirit. Is not it a person like Rahab the harlot 
who living in that wicked city with the big walls by the Holy Spirit believes in the God of Israel who led his people out of of Egypt. And she turns her life over to those spies to save them. And she's there fire, serves God and his people. Is it not Ruth the Moabitess? When her husband is taken away from her and Naomi is going to go back to her people, the Hebrew Jews, she says, I want to go with you. For your God will be my God and your people will be my God, uh, my people. Your land is my land. That's the work of the Holy Spirit and Ruth, who was the Moabitess. Was it not the work of the Holy Spirit in a king like Manasseh? Boys and girls, remember him? He was king for 55 years and he did evil, evil, evil things. Almost his whole reign. But when he is in captivity there in Assyria, the Spirit gets a hold of him and he is converted and he serves the Lord. Or as I talked about earlier, who is the confessor that I believe in the Holy Spirit? Is it not Saul of Tarsus, who God got a hold of there on the way to Damascus, who afterward would become the preacher of Christ Jesus and him crucified? Who else? Is it not every child of God? That's the only way that we know God, as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. That's the only way we know these truths about God that are not revealed to everyone, but only by the Spirit of God. What is 1 Corinthians 2 saying about that? You don't know what's in my head. You don't know what's in my heart. Only the spirit of me knows what's in my head and what my heart. What about God? Do you know what's in God's heart? What's in God's mind? Not of yourselves. But the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, he takes the mind and the heart of God and reveals it to us as his children. Given to me, the words of the catechism. You and I, who have provoked the Lord with our sins, with our waywardness, with our conceit, with our own self-righteousness, with our wickedness, with our carnally hard hearts. What grace, what mercy. That spirit is given to us. In God's word, we read of the throne of God and of the Lamb. Where is that throne of the Holy Spirit? And that throne of the Holy Spirit is in this flesh, isn't it? By the word flesh, I mean in our body and in our souls. We are wicked. We are corrupt. We are sinners. In our flesh, that is in our body and in our soul, there is a fountain of wickedness out of which proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, murder, theft, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All those evils proceed out of this flesh. But a new heart is placed in this flesh. A heart in which the Holy Spirit dwells. And a heart in which Christ himself dwells. By his spirit and by his word. What an amazing thing. That God chose such wretched things like you and me. To be his children. To be children of the light. How amazing that in regeneration then that that spirit is given to us 
and lives in us and reigns in us. He not only chooses to reside in us, but remains in us all of our lives. And he will not be taken away from us because of the faithfulness and the unchangingness of our God. Yes, that spirit is given. Given. How can he dwell within our sinful flesh? Isn't he insulted by all of our sins, just as the Father and the Son are? What is to happen? What is to take place? Well, as the Father gave his Son to suffer and die for our sins, and as the Son willingly came down from heaven to do that, so also Christ Jesus gives his Spirit. And the Spirit willingly comes down into the hearts and the lives of all God's elect saints. It is the Father and it is the Son who send that Spirit into all those whom God loved from eternity and has redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That is our confession that the Father, that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Boys and girls, I want to tell a story from Genesis chapter 24, and you're going to recognize this. In Genesis 24, Abraham decides to get a wife for his son, Isaac. Isaac, it seems, was kind of a mama's boy. He's still grieving for his mama in his tent. So Abraham takes the initiative. And he sends out Eliezer, his servant, all the way up north to where Abram's people were to find a wife. And the Lord made the way of Eliezer prosperous, didn't he? Because he met Rebekah there at the well and she carried out the sign that he asked for. He not, she not only gives water to him to drink, but also for his animals. And so then Eliezer takes Rebekah back home to Abraham and to Isaac. Now, is that just a, remor a remarkable historical story? What is the point? I want you to see this morning the similarity of the Holy Spirit. Even as Eliezer was sent by the father and the son to seek a bride, so the Holy Spirit was sent by the father and the son to seek a chosen wife for Christ Jesus. None of the elect come to Jesus Christ by him or herself. They are sought and they are found by the Holy Spirit. And then let's go on with that story. As Eliezer gave Rebekah costly jewels by which she could know how rich and how generous Isaac was, isn't it the Holy Spirit who also shows us how lovely Christ Jesus is and reveals to us all the benefits, all the blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus? The jewels of forgiveness of sins, of everlasting life, of peace with God. And as Rebecca is irresistibly drawn to come to Isaac, Eliezer takes her there. And so the Holy Spirit, when he portrays to us Christ Jesus, you and I, like Rebecca, are irresistibly drawn to Christ Jesus and all of his blessings. And we look forward to that marriage to Christ Jesus. Yes, let's look at those words. He is also given to me. There's that word also, isn't it? He is also given to me. In that part of the catechism, 
the writer of the catechism is pointing out how personal this work of the Holy Spirit is. And so we have to ask this morning, just as Paul had to ask some of the Jews who believed in Jesus, have ye received the Holy Spirit? And those early believers under John the Baptist only heard about Christ. They hadn't heard about the Holy Spirit yet. And Paul laid their hands, his hands upon them, and they also received the Spirit. How is it with you? How is it with me? Have we received the Holy Spirit? We receive the Holy Spirit personally because the Holy Spirit is given to the church at Pentecost, wasn't it? So we have to be careful against individualism. There are Pentecostals who will rank saints upon whom they think are better saints than others. These, there are the ordinary Joes who believe in Christ Jesus, but then there are the better ones who have received the Spirit and can talk in, in spiritual language, are able to do miracles, they say. They divide the church of Jesus Christ. That's wrong, beloved. That's wrong. When you look at your fellow believer in church, each one of them, as true believers, they are equally with you, those recipients of the Holy Spirit, and therefore called saints. And it is that spirit that comes on the church that causes these many different branches to spring forth from the tree, which is Christ Jesus. So in other words, the Holy Spirit is given to me because the Holy Spirit was given by Christ to his church. And that spirit does not work arbitrarily. Here a saint, and there a saint, and there another saint. But that spirit works covenantally. That spirit works in the line of generations. That spirit uses dads and mums and grandpas and grandmas to teach little children about the Lord and his demands for their life. So that we with a catechism writer are able to say, the Holy Spirit is also given to me because he's given to the church. And he's not given just to others in the church, but he is also given to me. The Holy Spirit changed his residence from heaven to the hearts and the lives of God's people. He's given to the church. Given at the time of regeneration. Given and never taken away from a child of God. And you and I, you and I need that daily renewing work of the Holy Spirit. You and I need that work of the Holy Spirit that continues to turn us. And we cry out to God, don't we? Turn me, O Lord, and I will be turned. The Holy Spirit, day by day, converting us or working that work of conversion so that we turn away from sin and we turn to Christ Jesus. And, as I said earlier, the Holy Spirit uses a tool, doesn't he? Boys and girls, what tool do you think of if you think of a carpenter? Well, you'll probably think of a hammer or a saw. They need those. So the Holy Spirit uses a tool. They're called the means of grace. He uses the word preached. He uses the sacraments in order to work faith and to strengthen faith. And so when you say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, don't say it if you don't want to open up God's word, because that's the tool of the Holy Spirit. Don't say, I believe in the Holy Spirit if you say, I don't feel like going to church anymore. Those are lies. I believe in the Holy Spirit means I believe that that Holy Spirit uses the tools of God 
to work faith and to strengthen my faith. The Bible. He doesn't new, use new visions. He doesn't use just testimonies. He uses his word and the preaching of that word. That is very important. That is very important because the denomination in which I used to belong, in 1973 and later on in 2007, rejected that the the idea that extraordinary and miraculous gifts have ceased. And so those churches are looking for these miraculous visions and gifts and new words from the Lord to keep on coming. Why is it that women could be office bearers in that church? They said, well, no, the Bible doesn't allow it, but the Holy Spirit is leading us beyond the Bible and he's working in our midst and he's telling us they can now be preachers. Or again, a professor of preaching says, we need to incorporate in our worship the power of testimony. Do you have a word from the Lord? Do you have a word from the Lord? And so all of us have different new words of the Lord. Child of God, when you say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, then you are saying, I believe that the Spirit is the one who had men write down God's word, word for word, his word. And that's an infallible word. It's a complete word. There's no additions or subtractions. You can't take away what you don't like. I believe in the Holy Spirit who uses the word preached and the word pictured in the sacraments to work faith and to strengthen faith in my heart. The Bible is that tool that the Holy Spirit uses. Do you and I bow before that word or not? And I don't mean now merely agreeing with it, but do you act also according to it? Are you not only hearers, but doers of that word? Desiring to do God's will. Learning to hate what God hates. Learning to love what God loves. Listening to God's voice that comes in his word. Thirsting after the righteousness that's pictured there. The righteousness of God himself given to us. Not resisting the Spirit, not hindering the Spirit, not grieving the Spirit, but let Him work. That Spirit is given also to me so that you and I grow under that Spirit's influence just as the grass grows with the dew that falls silently on it during the evening. Our gracious possession of the Spirit and His work. Do you thank God for that? And then notice with me, thirdly, then the Spirit's powerful purpose. For the Catechism says, to make me by a true faith partaker of Christ and all of His benefits. Beloved, that's the main concern of the Holy Spirit. That's his real work. And this is the correct sequence of his work. The main concern of the Spirit is Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus and him crucified. The Spirit desires to make us partakers of Christ Jesus. He's always pointing to Christ Jesus. We could say the Spirit has one passion... That Christ Jesus may be magnified. And that's what the Apostle Paul writes there in 1 Corinthians 2, doesn't he? He says, I didn't come to you with excellency of speech. I didn't want you to be swayed with the wisdom that is of the world. But I wanted you to fall under Christ Jesus and him crucified. Or John the Baptist, who said... He must increase and I must decrease. 
Oh, child of God, if that too is your and my concern. One purpose in life, that Christ may increase, his glory may increase, while I decrease. Our lives, our work, everything about us. The Spirit's main real work is then to make you and me, by a true faith, partakers of Christ and all of his benefits. I love that word, partakers. It means we obtain Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit doesn't add anything to the work of Christ. It's not necessary because the Christ work is finished. It's complete in that he died for our sins. But you and I need to be partakers. That is, we need to obtain that. It has to become our possession. And that's why John Murray distinguishes in his good book, Redemption, Accomplished in Christ Jesus, Applied by the Holy Spirit. And how do you and I become a partaker then of Christ Jesus? The Holy Spirit works a bond, a spiritual tie between Christ and us, the bond of faith, so that we are inseparably part of Christ and we appropriate, that is, we apply the truths of God's word to our hearts and lives. That's necessary that we appropriate Christ Jesus. Let me give an example, a couple examples. Obtaining a glass of water or soda really is going to help us. It's not going to quench our thirst unless we drink it. Or the good smell of bread will not benefit me if I have no appetite for it. The first time I went to the Philippines to consider going to that field, I had some kind of poisoning from the food. A kitchen was right next to the very bedroom I was laying in, and all I could smell was the smells of food, and it was stinking. It was awful to me. Bread, with its beautiful smell, is no good if we have no appetite for it. Or you can have an ornate lamp. But if it's not connected to electricity, it doesn't give any light, does it? It leaves you in the dark. Well, the Holy Spirit is the one who brings about that necessary contact that you and I have and appropriating Christ Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit that arouses hunger in our hearts for that bread of life. It is the Holy Spirit that brings that water of life to your and my lips so that we'll no longer thirst. It is the Holy Spirit that causes the light of Jesus Christ to shine in us so that you and I become children of the light. Christ says, and we read it in John 16, verse 5, He shall take of mine and show it unto you. So you see, the Holy Spirit takes these rich treasures of Christ Jesus in order to pass them on to us so that you and I may enjoy them. He opens up our eyes to see the beauty of Christ Jesus. He opens up our ears so that we hear the Spirit word and Christ speaking. It is the Spirit who makes you and I partakers of Christ and all of his benefits. And it is the Spirit that does that for all of God's elect, young and old alike. But notice with me, there is that correct sequence. Notice the divine order. First, Christ. Then, second of all, all of his benefits. You don't get those benefits unless you know Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. Imagine someone a moment saying to his wife, I'm going to leave you, but every month I'll send you enough money so that you can have a good life. 
Is the wife going to say, oh, that's okay with me? She says, no, no, I need you. Rather, I'd rather live in poverty than be without you. That's the language of love. Well, beloved, love is also how we are concerned, first of all, with the person, Christ Jesus, and then with his benefits. We love Christ Jesus. That's why the Holy Spirit lays that bond whereby we're glued, we're tied to Christ Jesus, and nothing, nothing can separate that bond to Christ Jesus. So how should we end this sermon this morning? I believe in the Holy Spirit. Well, Luke 11, verse 13, let's pray for the Spirit. For we read there, If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Ask, pray for that Spirit. Pray for that Spirit to dwell in you richly. Remember that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And that means that you and I have to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 19, quench not the Holy Spirit. Don't turn deaf ears to the Word of God, turning your ears to what the philosophy of the humanism of the world is saying. Rather, In Revelation 2, verse 7, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank thee for that divine gift of faith. We believe in the Spirit even as we believe in the Father and in the Son. And believing in Jesus Christ, we have those wonderful benefits that we are members of the church, that we know that our sins, though there are many, they're forgiven, that we are given the righteousness of God, and we have the hope of life everlasting. Oh, Father, May that spirit dwell richly in the church and in me. Amen.